Um, we're, we are just uh, in between series here, so today um, we left Isaiah behind, and then I'm not quite sure what we're going to get into next week, but I've got some ideas. Uh, we'll see where we go. Um, and so this Sunday, I just wanted to share with you some thoughts along the lines of our Father's love. Um, and so looking at the, the love that our Heavenly Father has for us, and then we'll talk about what difference that makes to your life and to mine. Our text comes from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and also verse 4, and I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and also chapter 4 and verse 9. So if you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, two verses, here we go, 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so I just want to take a look at these verses today. Let's kind of dive in here and get a good sense of, a good grasp of what God's love is like. So he begins in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 with these words. He says, see what kind of love God has for us. John makes an assumption here with that verse. And his assumption is that his audience knows the Father's love. Like, they, they get it. So they, I, but remember, this is the first century audience. This is Paul, who, who, I say, I don't know if I said Paul, who John is writing to. This is his first century audience, not to you and I. Maybe that first century audience had John come through town and preach a revival service where he talked about the love of God. And so, of course, they know what kind of love God has for them. Maybe he uh, had other letters that he sent to these particular individuals that we don't have access to today where he described God's love. But I just want to make sure that we're not uh, assuming the same as John is assuming because we're not part of his first century audience. So I want to make sure that we know what kind of love God has given to us. So let's start by digging into the Greek a little bit. The word that is translated love in Greek is the word agape. In Greek, they actually had four different words that translate into the one word that we have in English, the word love. For example, one of those words is the word philos. It's where we get Philadelphia from. It's a brotherly kind of love. It's the warmth that we feel toward other human beings, other individuals. Um, and so when the Greeks um, had so that was one of the ways that they uh, expressed love. Another way that they, another word they had for love was eros love. That was a romantic kind of love. They used the Greek word storge to refer to the love that family has toward one another. So blood relations. And then they had the word that John uses here, and it's the word agape. Um, John writes in verse 1, he says, See what kind of agape the Father has given to us. Agape love is a self-sacrificing type of love. It's a love where one person is willing to put it all on the line, to go all the way, the whole distance, in order for the sake of someone else. Over in John's gospel, he actually uses this word again. He says, John chapter 3 and verse, six, three and verse 16, he says, for God so agaped the world that he was willing to give his one and only son. He's willing to put it all on the line. So back in verse 1, 1 John, Paul, or John says, see what kind of agape the Father has for us. His first, century, his first century audience, when they heard that word agape, knew that he was talking about this specific kind of love, this self-sacrificing type of love that God has for his children. Over in chapter 4 and verse 6, uh, which are chapter 4 and verse 9, which we read earlier, 
Um, he says, look no further than the cross itself if you want proof that this is the kind of love that God has for his children. He says, in this, the agape of God, the love of God, was made manifest, that it was put on display. It was proven to all of us who were looking on uh, among us that God has sent his son into the world. Again, pointing to the father's willingness to put it all on the line in order to establish a relationship with you and I. In other words, before we had, and that John writes about it, I'm sorry, Paul, now we're over in Paul. Paul writes about it in his letter to the Romans, uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. This is the way he says it. Paul says, God showed his agape for, this, for us in this way, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, before we had gotten our act together, Jesus went to the cross. Before we had ever proven our worth to God, Jesus was willing to give his life for you and I. Before we had had our behaviors look a little bit more respectable, Christ died for us. And again, he didn't wait until we had gotten our act together to go to the cross. He went to the cross while we were still stumbling around drunk, while we were still lost in our sin, while we were still caught up in our rebellion, Christ went to the cross for us anyways. Paul is saying this is God's agape love, his self-sacrificial love on display. I would imagine that every parent and every grandparent, every aunt and uncle in this room would be willing to give our lives for our precious children. Amen? Right? We would do that. Without hesitation, we would do that. However, would we do the same for that bratty little snotty-nosed kid that lives down the street that's always causing problems, right? Would we do the same for the unapologetic prisoner down at the county jail who will not and refuses to repent, who refuses to accept responsibility for their actions? Would you give your life for that person as well? This is what Paul's saying here in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, that while we were laying in that prison cell saying, I'm not owning anything, Christ went to the cross for us anyways. Um, agape love lays down its life for the sake of another, even when that person is being, uh, even when that person could care less. And so John says here in verse 1, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See, see what kind of agape the Father has given to us. He even calls us his children. Friend, if you're here this morning and you have never entered into a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this is something that we ought to think about. God loves us so much that he was willing to go to the extreme measure of sacrificing his own son as a substitute for the penalty that you and I should have to endure. And when we put our faith and our trust in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, when we receive the forgiveness of sin that he offers, we become justified in God's sight, and heaven becomes our eternal reward. Now, did we do anything to deserve that? To deserve that forgiveness? To deserve what Jesus did for us on the cross? No way. That's why the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace you have been saved. It's not by works, but it's through faith. It is a gift of God. Again, the cross is proof that God loves us this way, in this self-sacrificing kind of way. He is willing to lay it all on the line in order to win you back unto himself. Again, something for you to think about. All right, well, that is our text for today. And so that means uh, it's time for us to stop here and ask the question that I like to ask anyway. Uh, week in and week out. And it is our most important question. And that question is, what difference does all this make 
to my life. Um, you say, Gordon, you know what? I get that God's love for us is sacrificial. I've heard a few sermons in my day, and I know that God, I mean, I, I know about Jesus. I know that he sacrificed himself on the cross. I get that God's love is this way, that he's a self-sacrificing kind of love. But how does that help me as a parent? How does that help me with my relationship with other people at work? How does that help me in my day-to-day life? Um, can you put some handles on this so that I know what this looks like practically as it's playing itself out? That's a really great question. Let me see if we can do that. What I'd like to do with the time that I have remaining um, is to offer for both the dads and the moms in the rooms, uh, in the room, how we can agape love our children the way our Heavenly Father agapes us. You say, hold on a second, Gord, just one more second. Uh, I don't have any kids in the house right now. Like, they're, all, they're gone. Or, or they, they, you know, they moved on, they, they moved out of the house, whatever it is. For whatever reason, I just don't have any kids in the house, so I mean, what difference does this make to me? Well, I do believe that the principles that I'm going to share with you about the, uh, the way that God agapes us, the way we can agape our children, is a principle that can be universally applied across the broad spectrum of life in all sorts of relationships that we have so you see if these things are are something that you can relate to as well number one if you want to love your kids the way our heavenly father loves us number one be present in their lives be present in their lives now by the word present i do not mean living under the same roof you know or opening the same refrigerator Uh, By being present in our kids' lives, it's more than just breathing the same air that they breathe and occupying the same space. Rather, to be present in our kids' lives means that we are in touch with their hopes, that we are in tune with their dreams, that we know when they're disappointed and we feel their frustrations, that we are in tune with what is running through their little heads and minds and hearts. To be present in our kids' lives means that we are out there working on our kids' behalf, coaching them, encouraging them, finding out what they are passionate about, and then putting resources behind that uh, so that they can go and achieve their dreams. Friends, I've known some dads that have to travel a good bit for work who are more present in their kids' lives than dads, like I said, who spend seven days a week under the same roof with their children. You know, my dad had a lot of evening meetings when my brother and I were growing up. He was an elementary school principal, and so every week he was having to go to school board meetings, he was having to go to parent-teacher meetings, he was having to go to events at his school, he was going to church board meetings, he was doing all sorts of things. But despite his physical absence at times, neither my brother nor myself ever felt like my dad was not present in our lives. We both always knew and felt the love and the sacrifice and the encouragement and the pride that our father felt in, uh, toward us. When I went off to college, I used to get these notes in the mail from my dad. I'd go down to our little, they call it the college post office, the CPO. And we'd go down there. It was kind of a congregating area where students would go. And so I'd open that little thing up. And every once in a while, there'd be a little note in there from my dad. Every couple, three weeks, used a little bit of cash that went with it. So I was always exciting as well. But he'd always write, scratch out a note like, Gordy, we're so proud of you. Keep working hard. Your mom and I just love you so much. Or something along those lines. And I would open those things up. And I tell you, the most valuable part of that envelope was not the money that was in there. It was that note from my dad and the affirmation from him. Um, maybe for you, it looks like being present in your kids' lives looks like coaching their ball team or taking your son or daughter out for breakfast. Maybe it looks like encouraging notes in their school lunch. Maybe it looks like mailing to your own house, right? Letters from dad or letters from mom to your kid. Maybe it looks like sitting all through three shows at their dance recital. 
You know, there is an amazing person lurking under the surface of your children, a person with unique talents and personality and dreams, and our kids are dying to tell us about that person. We just have to be present enough in their lives to discover her or discover him. Number two, how do we love our kids the way our Heavenly Father loves us? Number one, by being present in their lives. Number two, by being willing to dis discipline them when they need it. To discipline them when they need it. The Bible says, Proverbs 3 and verse, verse 11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Verse 12, for the Lord reproves those whom he hates. That's not what it says, is it? It says, the Lord reproves or corrects through disciplinary measures those whom he despises. That's not what it says. It says, the Lord reproves those whom he loves as a father, the son, whom he delights. Friends, God's discipline is confirmation that God loves us. Some of the most loving moments in my childhood career were when my dad bent me over his knee and showed me just how much he loved me. Now take the opposite approach. And you've got parents like King David, who while he was a man after God's own heart, was a lousy father. 1 Kings chapter 1 reports that David's son Adonijah was out of control. He was trying to steal his father's throne. Why? Because get this, 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 6, his father David had never at any time displeased his son. That is, he never told his son the word N-O. He never questioned his son. He never asked his son, Son, why are you doing thus and so? Why are you doing this? Solomon, think about this. Solomon, who grew up in that same household with that same father David, wrote these words after observing how things went. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 13. Here's some wisdom, moms and dads. I've got some advice for you. Don't do what my dad did. Instead, do not withhold discipline from your child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> he may think he's dying, or it may sound like he's dying at the time, but he will not die. In fact, later in life, that child will thank you for those loving moments. Friends, the easy thing to do is to ignore discipline. That's the easy thing to do. The easy thing is to brush our children's poor behavior under the proverbial rug. The easy thing is to excuse away or bail out our kids rather than make them face the consequences of their decisions. That's the easy way out. But what the Bible is saying is that our kids need parents who are courageous, parents who are willing to do the uncomfortable work of disciplining their children. Friends, we will either sacrifice for our children or we will sacrifice our children. It's one or the other. Number three, third way, that we can agape our kids the way our Heavenly Father agapes us. Number three is to admit to our kids when we are wrong. Let me say that again. That we need to admit to our kids when we are wrong. You know, one of the most difficult tasks for any parent is admitting that we've been wrong. To say to our son, son, I'm sorry. Daughter, I'm sorry. I've been a real grump lately. I've been a real pill. I've been real difficult to deal with. 
I overreacted the other day. I, I have given you some bad advice. I, I steered you wrong. Please uh, forgive me. Now, what parent wants to say that to their child? Nobody wants to do that. Some might say that that's a recipe for rebellion, that you're just demonstrating weakness to your kids. You're supposed to be leading your kids. How can you lead your kids if you're admitting that you've done something wrong, they would argue. Well, that's certainly a perspective, but in reality, the way this works is just the opposite. When we're willing to admit to our kids that we have been wrong, and oh, by the way, they already know that you were wrong, okay? <laughs> Uh, when we admit to our kids that we're wrong or that we overreacted, by admitting to them that to them, we are not telling them something that they don't know. Rather, to admit to it, uh, we are showing them how, what genuine humility looks like. We are showing them not weakness, but rather we are showing them um, or inviting them to respect us. We're showing them authenticity, and we're showing them how to clean up after their own mistakes. No one wants, think about this later in life. No one wants an employee who won't admit when they've done wrong. I mean, for those of you that have small businesses, for those of you that run big plants, for those of you that have people that work underneath of you, you know it is so difficult when you have somebody under your employ that won't admit to making a mistake. Um, no one, and so uh, no private wants a sergeant, just the same, who is unable to hear other people's opinions or to take advice. And so when we as moms and dads are willing to own our stuff and admit when we are wrong, friends, that sets our kids up for all kinds of success in life. Leaders who are approachable are leaders who are able to admit their mistakes. Agape your kids by admitting when you are wrong. Number four and finally, how do we love our kids the way God loves us? Number four, we love our kids unconditionally. You know, there are millions of children across this country who will go to bed night after night feeling only the conditional love of their parents. That is, love that comes from mom or dad that is performance-based. That when they succeed, we show them affirmation. When they fail or when they fall short, we give them condemnation. Um, I ran across a story from Time magazine, and it points to a picture of conditional love at the extreme. Here's how the article reads. It says, she was never really wanted by her dad. She could never seem to do anything right. She was never hugged or told that she was loved. She began to feel bad about herself. Maybe it was her fault. Maybe she was defective. Maybe it would have been better if she had never been born. When she became a teenager, she ran away from home. She walked the streets and let men use her and got pregnant and had an abortion. One time she even got so desperate that she called home. Her dad just said that she had been bad news since the day that she was born. A little while later, she ended her life. Friends, conditional love is toxic in the heart of children. Conditional love is toxic in the hearts of children. On the other hand, agape love is unconditional. It is not a performance-based love. This reminds me of the story in the Gospels where Peter meets up with Jesus after the resurrection. Peter had just denied Jesus a couple of days ago, something he swore that he would never do. These other guys might, he said, but I will never, ever deny you as my Lord, as my Savior. But Peter had done just that. He had denied Jesus three times. At a moment when Jesus was in total crisis, Peter denied Jesus. And so he's sitting by this little fire on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, eating some breakfast with Jesus. Peter thinks that he's blown it. Peter thinks that he has disqualified himself 
from any sort of ministry, any sort of leadership, any sort of service. He's gone back to fishing, in fact. Jesus had to show up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and say, Hey, Peter, what you doing out here? Come on. Come on, buddy. And so Jesus, in the face of Peter feeling like he's been disqualified, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Peter, feed my sheep. That is, Peter, you're not disqualified. Peter, my love for you is not based on your performance. My love for you is unconditional. Friends, when our kids blow it, and they will blow it, when they strike out in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded and two outs, unconditional love says to that child, feed my sheep. Try again. You can do this. Unconditional love does not give up on that child. Agape love is not a performance-based kind of love. You know, some of us didn't have earthly fathers who exemplified agape love. Some of us rather had earthly fathers whose love was conditional. Earthly fathers who weren't all that present in our lives. Earthly fathers who, like David, ignored discipline and tried to buy our affections rather. And so, friends, I say this in closing. If that's the kind of love that you knew growing up, know this, that you have a Father in heaven, your heavenly Father, who loves you unconditionally, who wants to be present in your every moment. A Father who uh, will discipline you because He loves you. A Father who knows your value and your worth. And friends, he proved that this is the way he loves us, by sending his one and only son, putting it all on the line in order to win you back unto himself. Now, our responsibility is to go and love the world and to love our children the way that God loves us. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious God, you know this is a tall order. This takes us outside of what we're even capable of. And so, Heavenly Father, we call on you to give us the resources that we don't possess to pour into our heart, to pour into our mind, so that we can love our kids, so that we can love the world that you have placed us in the way you love us. Lord, if there are some of us here today who, like that young lady in the story, only new conditional performance-based love. God, may we just fall and collapse into your arms this morning. May we feel the healing of our Heavenly Father's love. God, we give you this time of communion. We ask that your Holy Spirit would stir and work in our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's holy name.